begin my programs by uh, quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began all his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varasanmane Kesat Pemse Ardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he said that was the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. <clears throat> and these, uh, these programs, as Vanima said, uh, I dedicate to the great beings of all the different traditions. And it came as a, a great surprise to me back in the late, no, it, was late it was actually the beginning of the 70s when I, uh, I discovered by meeting the American spiritual teacher Ramdas, and he told me that great beings not only exist sort of mythologically in the past uh, or in history like Jesus or the Buddha, but they actually exist now. And uh, I was in a particular situation where I thought, that's what I need. I need somebody who understands things uh, to teach me. And I, I realized there were great beings even now, and that transformed my life. Pretty soon I was off to India uh, looking for someone of that level of consciousness uh, to teach me about it. <clears throat> because whatever I was doing wasn't working very well. <clears throat> and uh, the things that worked wore off the next day. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I dedicate these to the great beings. I think of them as the, the unknown resource of humanity. Although they, they are known, and because the whole world celebrates Jesus and the Buddha and uh, great beings like that, but, but uh, we don't realize what a treasure there is uh, among us. And, and what the great beings all say is that there's something inside of us that we're missing, that we're not aware of, and that if we can learn how to connect with that place inside, we can become as great as any of them, because that perfect divinity is within us. And tonight, uh, a sage that uh, I actually met, I've had very good fortune of meeting some really great beings in my travels around the world in India. <clears throat> and some of them I hadn't met and who impacted me through their writings or teachings. Uh, but this is one that I met. Uh, he, I met him in a, his little place in Mumbai. Then it was called Bombay. Uh, and it, uh, he was, uh, I'd heard about him when I was staying at Baba's Ashram at uh, Ganeshpuri outside of Bombay. And I, I used to go into, uh, into the city once in a while just to take a break from the ashram intensity for a day or two. And I decided I'd go visit Srina Sagadatta Maharaj. And there he is. Now, that's not a break from intensity, I tell you that. <laughs> the Sagadatta Maharaj was um, a great soul. He was what's called a yani, means he practiced the path of wisdom. Just as we have three types, emotional types, intellectual types, and kind of physical types. And so sages come in these three types also. And some are more vital, some are more uh, emotional, devotional, and some are more wisdom-oriented. He was definitely on the wisdom side. He taught uh, a very clear 
path of wisdom. And uh, he liked engaging people. He lived in a, a very kind of humble house in the middle of uh, uh, a lower class neighborhood. And he, upstairs he had a little meditation hall, which was the size of maybe a sixth of this space. Uh, and he would meet people every night and they would discuss Vedanta, Advaita, you know, non-dual uh, philosophy. So let's see what else you have. <laughs> there, there he is. There's he's in discussion. He loved to engage. He loved you to, to challenge him and uh, he loved to talk about the highest. His story is interesting. I'll tell you. Let's see what else you have. And here he is uh, with a group of people. Notice all the... Uh, the, the pictures on the wall, you're going to hear about that in a minute. And this is his room upstairs. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So I, it was a great pleasure to meet him. Uh, I, we barged in on him in the middle of the afternoon, probably in his rest period. And we knocked on the door and a woman came out and uh, said, oh, you want to see him? He didn't speak English. They sent us upstairs. We went up to the meditation room and... Uh, then, uh, then he came up. We obviously disturbed his rest, but he came up anyway. He didn't speak English. We didn't speak Marathi. So we just kind of went at each other. But it was really nice. There was a lot of uh, love and energy in it. And he had his uh, grandchild, I guess, came up and served us tea. It was very nice. Um, but later I found out that he was a great yana. I didn't know that that day. I thought, this guy's a really beautiful saint, but that he had this iron intellect. So here's uh, some question answers with him. Uh, his, he started, uh, his reputation grew, and people came from all over the world to hang out with him and talk to him and ask him questions, and they eventually put together a, a great book called I Am That, which has 100, 101 dialogues with him. And then there are many, many books since then of his dialogues. And this is one of them. Questioner. As you saw there, I see there are pictures of several saints, and I'm told that they are your spiritual ancestors. Who are they, and how did it all begin? I'll try that. Very good. <clears throat> Single malt, huh? <clears throat> anyway, so, because uh, we did, couldn't really speak, so I pulled out a picture of Baba and said, Meta Guru, my guru. And he goes, points to his picture on his wall, Meta Guru, he says. That's about our conversation. Uh, but he had pictures of saints around, and Maharaj says, we are called collectively the Navnath, the Nine Masters. The legend says that our first teacher was Rishi Dattatraya, the great incarnation of the trinity of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So we would call them the Nath lineage, N-A-T-H, Nath. Um, and um, I would say that, that the Nath lineage is very, uh, is a cousin of the Siddha lineage. They're related and very similarly, the Shaktipat tradition of the awakening of Kundalini energy and so on. <clears throat> and that his guru was a, a master in the Nath 
tradition. I didn't tell you his story, did I? Uh, he, he's from out of town. He was a country boy, uh, and there was uh, economic problems, so he, he was sent to the city to earn a living and send money back to, the, to people out in the country. And so the living he discovered was to sell cigarettes. And he sold uh, beaties, the, the uh, conical little country cigarettes. Um, and he soon was very successful at it. And he soon had several of these little beady stands, little shops. And he was making a good living. And then as these things happened, the spiritual bug hit him. Uh, I know a number of you in this uh, room, it's, uh, it's more insidious than COVID. And it hits you hard. It's a lifelong sentence. Um, and when that happens, you just, you know, you want to explore a path. You want to have a teacher. You want to practice and so on and so on. And he did that. He went, of course, it, it was a lot easier for him in Bombay than it was for me in uh, Chicago, as I, where I was, uh, to find uh, sages and teachers. Uh, and, but he went around and, and finally found his teacher, and his teacher gave him a particular instruction, very simple instruction, which was to contemplate I am and hold on to the I am thought, which he did assiduously, and uh, by his own uh, testimony, he attained the goal of self-realization in a few years. And then he started talking to his friends, and they said, that's interesting, and they started coming around every night, and so... That's what happened. <clears throat> he says, the question says, what's the, the peculiarity of the not teaching, teaching of that lineage? Maharaj says, it's simplicity, both in theory and practice. Question, do you have to be realized to join the sampradaya? It's the tradition, sampradaya is the, the tradition. Do you have to be self-realized to join it? And Maharaj says, the not tradition is only a tradition a way of teaching and practice. It does not denote a level of consciousness. So you, anybody can join it. If you accept a not sampradaya teacher as your guru, you join his sampradaya's tradition. Usually you receive an awakening by look, touch, or word from your guru. So you see, it's the same awakening of the kundalini. They say the kundalini energy can be awakened by look, by this happened to me with Baba. So he looked into my eyes one day, and a transmission happened. And by word, which could be the giving of the mantra, or it could be a teaching. Uh, and by touch, which happens at the intensives. There are all these ways. Uh, and sometimes none of those, but just by an occult transmission that, that can happen. Um, <clears throat> so he says, uh, Sometimes the only sign of grace is a significant and rapid change in character and behavior. So if you start to, if you're being transformed, you're thinking different thoughts, you're feeling different feelings, uh, it means that that awakening is taking place. Question. <clears throat> I know you now for some years, and I meet you regularly. The thought of you is never far from my mind. Does it make me belong to your sampradaya? That's a cute question. Can I, can I be a member? I feel alienated all my life. I, I've always been an outsider. Am I part of it? But uh, Maharaj doesn't go for that. 
He says, your belonging is a matter of your own feeling and conviction. In reality, there's neither guru nor disciple, neither theory nor practice, neither ignorance nor realization. It all depends on what you take yourself to be. So this is coming from the point of view of the highest non-dual philosophy. There's no guru, no disciple, no, no nothing, only the one. He says, know yourself correctly. There is no substitute for self-knowledge. Question. <laughs> what proof will I have when, that I know myself correctly? Maharaj, you don't need proof. <clears throat> the experience is unique and unmistakable. It will dawn on you suddenly when the obstacles are removed to some extent. It is like a frayed rope snapping. Your job is to work at the strands. So you do your practice. You cut away at the ignorant. You don't look to the goal. You just keep doing your work, and then something happens, is what he's saying. The break is bound to happen. It can be delayed, but not prevented. And Baba used to say that, that every spiritual effort, nothing goes to waste. Because sometimes people feel, I'm not getting anywhere, and so on. So nothing goes to waste. And you, you have no idea where you are. You just have to keep moving on the path, and then all kinds of magic happens. Don't pay so much attention to where you are. Just keep doing your practice, and growth will happen, he says. <clears throat> I said it. I don't know, Subco. Didn't I say Subco? You heard me? I remember saying it, unless I'm getting demented. <laughs> I did. I did. Didn't I? Come on. Or were you even listening? And he said, and I said it. Well, just check the replay. I want, I want a replay. I want a replay. I'm falsely accused. <clears throat> Not for the first time. <clears throat> okay. All right. <laughs> okay, question. <laughs> I'm confused by your apparent denial of causality. <clears throat> Does it mean that none is responsible for the world as it is? <clears throat> Maharaj, the idea of responsibility is in your mind. You think there must be something or somebody solely responsible for all that happens. As I see it, it's all daydreaming. There's no reality in ideas. He's very nihilistic point of view. That all mental formations are false. That would be his point of view. <clears throat> so that's a very, it's a very legitimate point of view for Jani. Uh, but also, you are responsible. And also, ideas matter, and so on. You can hold both of them. Uh, Yogi Sri always says you have to have two brains. You have to have two brains so that you can hold opposites in your head at the same time. Can you do that? I remember when I was teaching literature that uh, Keats, the poet Keats, you heard of Keats? <laughs> in this day, you heard of Keats? Uh, anyway, he said, he talked about negative capability. 
which is the ability to hold contraries in you without straining after certainty, to hold that in your brain. So one side of your brain you hold here, the other side of your brain holds there. And they don't have to necessarily communicate. <laughs> but it would be good if they did. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> he says, uh, it's all, uh, there's no reality in ideas. The fact is that without you, neither the universe nor its cause could have come into being. So now he's saying that, the, the, that without you there, there's no universe. And that's true of each of us, isn't it? Without us being there, there's no world, no life, no nothing. Question, I cannot make out whether I am the creature or the creator of the universe. Maharaj, I am is an ever-present fact, while I am created is an idea. So I am created is, is more drama, it's a narrative. But I am is a feeling, the feeling sense of being present is what he's talking about. That's real, and what the mind spins off uh, is, uh, is a dream, he's saying. Neither God nor the universe have come to tell you that they've created you. The mind, obsessed by the idea of causality, invents creation and then wonders who's the creator. The mind itself is the creator. Even this is not quite true, for the created and its creator are one. The mind and the world are not separate. You should understand that what you think to be the world is your own mind. <clears throat> and this also is what Shaivism says. Shaivism says quite radically that, uh, that everything is held in our own consciousness, that the world is held in consciousness. It seems separate from us, but if you examine it, it's within our own awareness. And it behooves us to purify that awareness, to make that awareness really reflect reality and to get deeper into it, not get caught up in neurotic uh, tensions of it and the superficial level of it. Question, is there a world beyond or outside the mind? Maharaj, all space and time are in the mind. <clears throat> there are many levels of the mind and each projects its own version, yet all are in the mind and created by the mind. <clears throat> Question. See, that's very metaphysical, isn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it George Harrison who said it's all in the mind, you know? Or was that Lenin? I don't know. Question. What is your attitude to sin? <clears throat> How do you look at a sinner, somebody who breaks the law, inner or outer? Do you want him to change or do you just pity him? <clears throat> or are you indifferent to him because of his sins? Maharaj, I don't think in terms of sin and sinners. Your distinction and valuation do not bind me. Everybody behaves according to his nature. It cannot be helped, nor need it be regretted. It's a wonderfully expanded vision, isn't it? Everyone's just doing his thing. Question, others suffer. Good point. Yeah, what if doing his nature, he's, uh, you know, some kind of monster? Maharaj, everything is as it is. There's no cause for condemnation or pity. He's not saying that if somebody's sociopath, you don't put him in jail. You have to do that, but you don't have to get upset about it. <laughs> <clears throat> Question. Surely you feel at least compassion when you see 
a man steeped in suffering. Maharaj, yes, I feel I am that man, and his suffering is my suffering. Interesting, he's actually talking about the state of a, a, a realized being. He's exploring it, and Maharaj is giving him little bits of it. Or the state that, uh, that we can contemplate within ourselves. Because whatever such a being is, it's not different from what we are. It's pointing to kind of the, the most expanded vision that we can attain inside of us. He says, right, and what next? And Maharaj says, by my becoming one with him, he becomes one with me. It's not a conscious process. It happens entirely by itself. None of us can help it. What needs changing shall change anyhow. <clears throat> Enough to know oneself as one is here and now. Intense and, method and methodical investigation into one's mind is yoga. So he's saying you do have to do something, and that is know yourself through meditation, through inner contemplation, through self-study. And then the, more, the deeper you go there, your vision is transformed and your world is transformed. Question, what about the chains of destiny forged by bad actions? <clears throat> Maharaj, when ignorance, <clears throat> the mother of bad actions, dissolves, destiny, the compulsion to do bad things again, ceases. So it's all about ignorance, isn't it? Question, there are retributions to make. <clears throat> He's a good questioner. He's ready to get back. It just, some of them would just uh, you know, have nothing more to say, just sit there in a stupor. But occasionally you get somebody feisty enough to argue with him. Maharaj, with ignorance coming to an end, all comes to an end. Things are then seen as they are, and they are good. They're good. Not that you see, we think see things as they are miserable. No, but you see truly what it is. It's fine. It's all the way the divine has planned. Question: If a sinner, a breaker of the law, comes before you and asks for your grace, what would be your response? What's he going to say, <clears throat> Maharaj? He will get what he asked for. Question, in spite of his being a very bad man? Marge, I don't know bad people, I only know myself. I see no saints or sinners, only living beings. There is something I can give, there's nothing I can give or deny which you do not have already in equal measure. Just be aware of the riches, of your riches, and make full use of them. That's a beautiful way of talking about it. There's some yogis who say, work, strive, strive, so on. But a great being like that says, you have riches within you. Stop being a uh, fool. <laughs> Did I say something bad? <laughs> what do you think? Never mind. And, and discover, discover the riches that are inside. I love that message. When Baba gave that message, that, uh, that there was nothing that, that I had to radically alter. I just had to get rid of the obstacles, that there was something great within me, just as I was, just had to find that, that place. Not that the 
the layer of ignorance is not thick, deep, profound, and very vexing. <laughs> Question. A mother comes to you with a tale of woe. <laughs> Her only son is taken to drugs and prostitution and is going from bad to worse. She's asking for your grace. What should be your response? <laughs> Maharaj, probably I shall hear myself telling her that all will be well. <laughs> Question, that's all? Maharaj, that's all. What more do you expect? Question, but will the son of the woman change? What's he going to say? Maharaj, he may or he may not. <laughs> you get that? <laughs> Question. The people who collect around you and who know you for many years maintain that when you say it will be all right, it invariably happens as you say. Maharaj, you may as well say that it is the mother's heart that saves the child. For everything, there are innumerable causes. Everything is caused by the whole universe. You know? What do they say if a sparrow falls over here, it changes the world situation? So, hmm? a butterfly. <clears throat> Question. <clears throat> I'm, t <clears throat> I'm told that the man who wants nothing for himself is all powerful. The entire universe is at his disposal. And of course, that's uh, Bhagwan Nityananda. That's the image that he gives. A person who doesn't want anything for himself except a new loincloth to take you. <laughs> <clears throat> Maharaj, if you believe so, act on it. That's radical, isn't it? Wonderful. So if you really believe that, become that. Have you ever imagined yourself to be Bhagwan Nityananda, just wearing a loincloth, fully content? <laughs> you can wear your clothes, you know, you know your, your designer clothes, it's okay. But, um, but fully content with your life just as it is without any engineering of it. Just as it is, just in the middle of it all, not always looking to the story to unfold a certain way so you can be happy, but in the midst of the whole catastrophe, just as yourself, you're suddenly Bhagwan Nityananda. If he entered your life and went into you, he would be perfectly content, even though your life is insufferable and impossible. He wouldn't find it that way. He'd just be there. Anyway. <clears throat> Abandon every personal desire and use the power thus saved for changing the world, he says. Question. All the Buddhas and Rishis, the sages, uh, have not succeeded in changing the world. Maharaj. <clears throat> this is good dialogue. You liking this? interesting. The world does not yield to changing. By its very nature, it is painful and transient. That's what the Buddha said. The world is painful. It's the karma bhumi. This is where karmas are worked out. The Buddha said disease, old age, and death. Not much you can say to that is a disease, old age, and death. See it as it is and divest yourself of all desire and fear. These are the two things he'd always talk about, desire and fear. That would be raga and vesa, this pair of opposite. 
that which you want and that which you avoid or fear. He says, when the world does not hold and bind you, it becomes an abode of joy and beauty. So he's saying basically that's our desire, I want, I want, and our fear, I don't want, I don't want that, is that makes the world miserable for us because we're not getting what we want, we're getting what we don't want, and so we're always in attention. Uh, but he says if you can drop that, the world suddenly becomes beautiful. You get in touch with the, the joy within. He says you can be happy in the world only when you're free of it. What does that mean to be free of the world? Of outcomes, preferences, all that. It's a very high goal, and yet it's not that far away, really. That's why we come to satsang, to remember great beings like Bhagwan Nityananda, and to relish that space of equanimity. Question, what is right and what is wrong? Maharaj, generally, <clears throat> this is very good, generally what causes suffering is wrong, and what removes it is right. This is the yogi's morality. The yogi's morality is not, oh, you did a good thing, that's good. You did a bad thing, you shame on you. It's what moves you closer to God is correct. What takes you into separation and suffering is incorrect. That's the yogi's morality. Whatever moves you towards the self is correct. He says, the body and the mind are limited and therefore vulnerable. They need protection, which gives rise to fear. As long as you identify yourself with them, you're bound to suffer, realize your independence, and remain happy. So you're always protecting your, your individuality, and so you're always in a state of fear. So detach yourself. It's an inner movement, he says. I tell you this. This is the secret of happiness. Listening? <clears throat> to believe that you depend on things and people for happiness is due to ignorance of your true nature. To know that you need nothing to be happy except self-knowledge is wisdom. I think that's the high point of this dialogue. Just to, and you, as you hear it, you know that it's true, right? It also seems very difficult. And yet, to, to understand that, that we depend on events and people, circumstances and objects too, for happiness and unhappiness. And he's saying, that's why we're miserable. That to become independent, or at least to move towards that, is to become happy. He goes, <clears throat> I'm going to skip along here. Uh, without desire and fear, what motive is there for action? And Maharaj says, none, unless you consider love of life, of righteousness, of beauty, motive enough. So there's inherent uh, there's an inherent movement towards living, and that's love, he's saying. Do not be afraid of freedom from desire and fear. It enables you to live a life so different from all you know, so much more intense and interesting, that truly by losing all, you gain it. Question. That like, takes him too far, so he goes on. Since you count your spiritual ancestry from Rishi Dattatraya, are we right in believing that you and all your predecessors are reincarnations of the Rishi? <laughs> it's like, whoa. <clears throat> Maharaj, you may believe whatever you like, 
<laughs> and if you act on your belief, you'll get the fruits of it. But to me, it has no importance. I am what I am, and this is enough for me. Wasn't that Popeye? I am what I am. I am what I am. Huh? I have no desire to identify myself with anybody. So even though he's a member of that lineage, that Sampradaya, he doesn't identify, because ultimately you're left with just being you, not with any political party or national group or racial group or anything else. You're just you. However illustrious, he says, I'm not going to identify, nor do I feel the need to make myths, to take myths to reality. I'm only interested in ignorance and the freedom from ignorance. He goes on, the proper role of a guru is to dispel ignorance in the hearts and minds of his disciples. Once a disciple has understood, the confirming action is up to him. Nobody can act for another. And if he does not act rightly, it only means he's not understood and that the guru's work is not over. That's interesting. The, the guru gives a teaching and then you have to act, you have to adopt that perspective and act from it. <clears throat> Question. There must be some hopeless cases too. <clears throat> Maharaj, none is hopeless. Obstacles can be overcome. What life cannot mend, death will end. But the guru cannot fail. <clears throat> so that's what they said. They said some cases are too hard. They need an incarnation change. Because they're not going to get there in this life. Uh, so you have to go on. But, but consciousness has to return to the source. <clears throat> Question, what gives you the assurance? Maharaj, the guru and man's inner reality are really one and work together towards the same goal the redemption and salvation of the mind. They cannot fail. Out of the very boulders that obstruct them, they build their bridges. The mind and the intellect are not the whole of being. There are other levels on which man is much more, uh, of which, no, other levels on which man is much more cooperative with the cosmic process. The guru is at home on all levels and his energy and patience are inexhaustible. So even though our minds are at war with the cosmos, other parts of our being are not. He's saying, <clears throat> it's very interesting, isn't that? Question, you keep telling me that I'm dreaming and that's high time I should wake up. How does it happen that the Maharajas come to me in my dreams has not succeeded in waking me up? <laughs> he keeps on urging and reminding, but the dream continues. He's really, <clears throat> Maharaj, it's because he's not really understood that you're dreaming. This is the essence of bondage, the mixing of the real with the unreal. Your present state, <clears throat> in your present state only the sense I am refers to reality. The what and the how I am are illusions imposed by destiny or accident. What he's saying there is that crap that your mind creates, the stories and all that are all delusion, and get back to the present feeling of I am. That's the self. At least keep returning to it, and then what your mind produces will be more valid. The further away the mind gets from your sense of beingness, the more deluded it becomes. But if you maintain yourself in the beingness, 
then the mind becomes uh, trustworthy. He says, when did the dream begin? <clears throat> Marge, it appears to be beginningless, but in fact it is only now. The dream begins now. <laughs> From moment to moment, you are renewing it. Once you've seen that you're dreaming, you'll wake up. It's very zen, isn't it? <clears throat> but you do not see because you want the dream to continue. A day will come when you will long for the dream to end with all your heart and mind and be willing to pay any price. Ramakrishna say you, you hold, when you have a desire, like a man who's held his head under water has desire for air. When you want it that much, then you'll wake up. Hmm? <clears throat> he says, uh, the price will be dispassion and detachment, the loss of interest in the dream itself. Are these things resonating somewhere inside? What do you think? It's, it's wonderful stuff. Question, how helpless I am. As long as the dream of existence lasts, I want it to continue. As long as I want it to continue, it will last. It's complaining. It's an ideal questioner. <clears throat> Maharaj, wanting to continue is not inevitable. See clearly your condition. Your very clarity will release you. Question. So he's pointing to a place that's outside the story, your, sto your life story. My drama, I did this, I did that, I went here, I went there, I got this education, I got this job, and my drama, and then what will happen later, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, I'll be triumphant, I'll be failure. So the, outside that, there's just this moment. He says, focus on the experience of this moment. He says, <clears throat> wanting to continue is not inevitable. See clearly, and you'll release. The question says, as long as I'm with you, all you say seems pretty obvious. But as soon as I'm away from you, <clears throat> I run about restless and anxious. I noticed that with Baba, that when Baba was speaking, I was self-realized. <laughs> He'd speak, I'd say, ah, yes, that, ah, that's it. That's it. And then I'd go away, and, and I'd get all well, my whole trip would come up again. And then I'd freak out. And then the next day, I'd come here and speak, and I'd go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's the way you get entrained. You keep going back. And again, of course, it's familiar, because that's how we are. We are that. <clears throat> and Maharaj says, You need not keep away from me. Uh, in your mind, at least, but your mind runs the, after the world. Question The world is full of troubles. No wonder my mind, too, is full of them. Maharaj, was there ever a world without troubles? Question To be truly human, I must be selfless. As long as I'm selfless, I am subhuman. Humanoid only. This is the question that really likes to tear into himself. Maharaj, <clears throat> so we're all subhuman. And only a few are human. Few are many, it is again clarity and charity that makes us human. We have to have love and insight. The subhuman, the humanoids, are dominated by tamas and rajas. That means by dullness and desire. 
and the humans by sattva. Clarity. Clarity and charity is sattva, and it affects the mind and action, but the real is beyond sattva, even beyond purity is the reality. <clears throat> Since I have known you, you seem to be always after helping the world. How much did you help it? <laughs> Question. Not a bit. <laughs> Neither the world has changed, nor have I. But the world suffers, and I suffer along with it. <laughs> to struggle against suffering is a natural reaction. And what is civilization and culture, philosophy, and religion but a revolt against suffering? Evil and the ending of evil. Is it not your own main your preoccupation? You may call it ignorance. It comes to the same. And Maharaj's last statement, he says, well, words do not matter. Those that matter in what shape you are just now. Name and shape change incessantly. Known yourself to be the changeless witness of the changeful mind. That is enough. That's a good upadesh or spiritual teaching for us to meditate a few minutes. Know yourself to be the changeless witness of the changeful mind. It means just separate a little bit from the mind. Don't get caught up in it. The mind's very seductive. It wants to take us on so many trips. Triumph and disaster. But just separate. You're the one that watches the mind, that witnesses the mind, be detached from the mind. So let's meditate for 10 minutes. Truly, there's nothing as great as meditation, nothing as important as meditation, because in meditation, we go to the essence, we go to who we really are, and we get, we free ourselves from the, the tyranny of the mind. So let's, uh, let's meditate now on the self for 10 minutes. If you, you've never meditated before, you can use the mantra of our Sampradaya, Om Namah Shivaya. You can repeat that to yourself and let other thoughts quiet down. Otherwise, just let the mind quiet down. And in that quietness, something will shine forth, some essence, some truth. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. Once again, 